Thank you for listening to the Institute of World Politics podcast. To learn more about our graduate programs in national security, international affairs, and intelligence, or to support our work in educating future leaders, please visit www.iwp.edu. Thank you for watching this virtual lecture event hosted by the Institute of World Politics. For those of you who are new, IWP is a graduate school of national security and international affairs. We have five master's degree programs, 18 certificates of study, and a new doctoral program. If you're interested in learning more about us, please visit iwp.edu. This lecture event is part of the 11th Annual Kosciuszko Chair Spring Symposium in honor of Lady Blanca Rosensteel. This event is sponsored by the Kosciuszko Chair in Polish Studies and the Center for Intermarium Studies. This afternoon, we'll be hearing from Dr. Yolanda Mishakowska. Dr. Mishakowska carried out her graduate work at the University of Warsaw. She has a doctorate in modern history from the Polish Academy of Sciences. In 2015, she won a research grant from the Polonia Aid Foundation Trust. She is a historian of 20th century Poland with a particular interest in developing independent Poland after the First World War, its political and domestic situation, and its interstate diplomatic relationship with Great Britain. Much of her recent research is focused on the perception of independent Poland among the British political and intellectual elite. Dr. Mishakowska, welcome and thank you for joining us today. Uh, thank you so much for such a wonderful invitation. First of all, I wish to I wish to thank you for your invitation. It's a great pleasure and honor for me to share my current research with you today. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I wish to start a story about the Polish Eastern policies place and the British political imagination by describing a significant incident. In December 1919, Horace Rumble, Britain's representative in Poland, organized a banquet. Uh, at the British legation in Warsaw. During the celebration, Polish guests refused to participate uh, in the party and didn't dance. The hopes were stunned. In Polish eyes, this symbolic gesture was a protest against Lloyd George cabinet policy towards Eastern Galicia. The incident has covered comprehensively in the correspondence of British officials. In a private letter to Arthur Heydrich, of December 13, 1919, Rumble expressed his anger. He was appealed by Paul's behavior. Moreover, the incident was described in his memories by Adrian Carton de Viard, who also was visiting the party. The British officials didn't understand the gesture of the Poles. Despite their favorable attitude towards the Polish Second Republic's territorial aspirations, both Rambold and the Viard saw Paul's behavior as an example of their emotional attitude to politics, which didn't favor them to treating Poland as an equal partner. I mentioned this event mm, for a reason. Uh, as it turned out, Poland's image in the eyes of British was complex and multifaced. In 1919, 1923, even politicians and officials who wanted to favor the Polish case faced a challenge. Uh, they found it daunting to understand the struggle for recreating the Polish state in its historical shape. The subject of my presentation attempts to explain uh, the British political elite's perception of Polish territorial aspirations to the East from 1919 to 1923 
when Britain recognized the Polish Easter border. In this context, crucial for Poland's image were relations between Britain and Soviet Russia. Britain ad Britain's attitude to Poland's independent Eastern policy resulted from geopolitical principles and Britain's political pragmatism. Worth considering uh, is a question of determinants of David Lloyd George government policy. What kind of factors determine such a multi-faced British foreign policy? Which consideration prevailed in this case, uh, geopolitical theory or maybe a strategic necessity? What was the role of the pressure of varied interest groups driven by Soviet disinformation? How is it possible uh, that in such a short period, the Prime Minister and his advisors make a significant shift from apprehension towards Soviet Russia's expansion to full acceptance of the Bolshevik Revolution and will of establishing economic context. It was uh, equivalent to recognition of a new regime uh, in the international political scene. As Lloyd George declared, the British government was ready to, to trade, even with the cannibals. It's a very significant statement and it's, it works in the future. Opinion which didn't find co confirmation in reality also played a significant role in shaping Poland's image. They influenced Polish independence aspirations during the First World War, both uh, in their political and territorial dimensions. As an example was accusations of so-called Polish imperialism, significant in the context of Polish Eastern policy. Equally essential was the belief uh, that Poland was unable to maintain its sovereignty. In theory, fundamental uh, to a beneficial interstate relationship should be reliable knowledge about the partner and they clearly define their own interests. So it's not difficult to imagine that British policymakers' attitude towards Poland played a significant role in deciding to its future and place in post-war Europe. After the Great World War, Britain itself made a challenge of recognizing involvement in creating the shape of the Europe. Arising for this array, Europe needed to redraw its boundaries, rehabilitate its political system, and revive its economic life. Reviving the Polish state in its historical shape was the Polish political elite's aim from the Great War. In other words, it meant an attempt to recreate Polish state on the largest possible area historically belonging to the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth. It was um, it was a theme of favorable state borders that was seen as a guarantee of maintaining independence. Consequently, there was a contradiction between the interests of Poland and Britain. Before the Great War, Poland existed in the British political imagination as a part of Russia, Austria-Hungary and Germany. In British diplomatic documents, to refer to the Poles was usually used term Russian Poles. Moreover, Britain didn't uh, recognize 
that Poland didn't rise from non-existence after World War I. It wasn't a country created uh, as a result of the Paris Peace Conference treaty decisions. And I think the knowledge about its cultural and historical heritage was the condition for deciding about the Polish land's future. Unfortunately, the British political elites didn't know much, not only about Poland, but about uh, other countries in Central and Eastern Europe, which rose or regained, as Poland, its independence after World War I. The statement, it's not a result of Polish propaganda um, that, that maybe is trying to accuse British for resentment. Esme Howard recommend, uh, recondemned their ignorance of the British. He was uh, attached to the British delegation during the Paris Peace Conference. He also was a British civil delegate on the International Commission to Poland. In his memories, published in 1936, Howard explicitly wrote that Britain wasn't prepared to decide Poland's fate. In his opinion, there was no justification for this ignorance. Similar concerns uh, in this matter was, were expressed by Horace Rumbold as early as November 1919. He was Britain's representative in Poland and openly criticized the British political elite's narrow uh, thought horizon towards Central and Eastern Europe. It was indeed terra incognita on the British political map. This unknown part of Europe appeared in 1919 at the Paris Peace Conference. Only the end of the Great War could have been an opportunity for Britain to develop strategic goals for the new national state. Despite its great exhaustion for the war, the British Empire retained its status as a world power and its interest extended far beyond European continent. Co-creation of the post-war order and joint responsibility um, for its maintains required pressure typical of empires, both military and economic. However, um, as following years have shown, there was no such a will in Britain towards Central and Eastern Europe. It was uh, the periphery of the British Empire's interests and played a secondary role in the continent. In this context, the cabinet discussion in December 1920 on European politics seems to be symptomatic. Even then, David Lord George stated directly that, that British involvement in continental Europe's affairs would be possible only at last resort, which he considered as a threat to Great Britain's security. The Prime Minister summed up his speech with the following statement. It's a selfish policy, but at least costly and most beneficial for our citizens. After World War I, the traditional intellectual framework of British thinking uh, about continental Europe determined the balance of power doctrine. The balance of power was perceived as a condition for this part of the world's stability. 
Britain so its role uh, in the term of uh, placement, limiting, limiting this involvement in European affairs to the necessary minimum. Therefore, the overreading goal uh, of activities in the international field was to preserve the British Empire's cohesion and ensure insecurity by maintaining the current dominance of the sea and maintaining the balance of power in Europe. Britain's post-war goals show that despite favorable circumstances, the First World War didn't change the British political strategy towards Europe in any way. Considering the above factors, Poland, uh, due to its uh, geographic location and the place in balance uh, of power, global balance of power, attracted the attention of British political elites only to a small extent. In the strategic plans of Great Britain, Poland usually appeared in the context of other countries, its allies, antagonists, or neighbors. Consequently, the way Poland was perceived was closely related to the dynamically changing international situation. However, Poland was the largest of the East Central European successor states. Its territory came from German, Russian, and Austrian empires, each of which had uh, war had destroyed. The frontier with new German and Austrian state had been laid down at the Paris Peace Conference in the early months of 1919. The eastern border, which the Allies wanted settling on the ethnic lines, didn't exist yet. At this, as time went by, it appears that force, rather than diplomatic action, would decide its eventual shape. As I said, during the Great War, the British government wanted to limit Polish expansion eastward to the eastern limit of ethnographic Poland. In October 1918, Arthur Belfort stood firmly on the position that a reborn Poland would take the most advantage from the lands where the Poles represented most the, of the population. Numerous experts had underlined the, the assumption that the Polish state um, should be as homogeneous as possible in face of German and Russian aspirations. Consequently, the Foreign Office was opposed to Poland's recreation within its historical boundaries. Between June 1st, 1918, when the British declared their support for creating an independent Poland, and March uh, 1923, British politicians grappled with the territorial dispute surrounding the recreate state, Polish state. Remarkably, between 1919 and 1921, the Polish Second Republic engaged in no least that six-armed conflict of its neighbor states. And indeed, the vast majority of the Foreign Office documents relating to the Polish-British interstate relationship were concerned with territorial and legal problems that kept Poland in a state of uh, more or less permanent stupor, not rushing British prejudice against 
um, a newly born country. David Lloyd George and his political base doubt Poland's ability to manage self-determination, uh, revealing belief was uh, that Poland is a weak country and would sooner or later disappear from the map of, of Europe. Lloyd George fears uh, he will the anti-Polish propaganda of his advisors. The key policymakers' decision towards Poland were built on experts' opinion. And one of the most influential of them was Louis Neymar, whose influence on British policy towards Poland was significant. From May 1917, he created analyses and memoranda on Polish case for Lloyd George cabinet. Thanks to his personal contact, especially with the Philip Kerr, who was a private secretary of Prime Minister, of, uh, Prime Minister he directly accessed the Prime Minister himself. On March 1918, uh, as an employee of the political intelligence department, Namir was considered an expert on Central and Eastern Europe. Namir desired to see a stable system of states in a part of the world where Britain wasn't likely to retain uh, defining influence. From May 1917 to April 1920, he wrote many memoranda and remarks on the Polish situation. They are worth attention uh, because Namir's conclusions determined British policy, foreign policy towards Poland, uh, especially. According to Namir, the biggest threat to stability in Central and Eastern Europe was so-called um, Polish imperialism, as is his words. In other words, the aspiration of recreating Poland in its historical shape would potentially lead to a new military conflict. As a pretext to draw this uh, misleading conclusion, uh, the Polish-Ukrainian war over Lwów and Eastern Galicia was used. Namir's analyzers had a different uh, and direct influence to Lloyd George's attitude towards Polish territorial claims. The Prime Minister warned that giving excessive territory, territory to Poland must lead to a new war. So it was a similar opinion to, uh, to Namir's analysis and conclusions. He opposed a Polish plan because Poland isn't, in his opinion, entitled to annex Eastern Galicia for ethnographical reasons. This unfriendly um, and biased statements questions the assumed Polish historical right to annex the lands, which formed a part of the Polish state before the first partition in 1772. At the same time, the British government ignored Harris Rumbold's uh, opinions as a significant portion of his official uh, correspondence sent from Warsaw uh, contained information about an increasing wave of resentment towards Britain. He warned that undermining such Polish rights would lead to a massive crisis 
in Warsaw. Indeed, the Poles wasn't satisfied by the, by, uh, the Supreme Council's decision uh, reached on September 25th, 1919. Um, the settlement uh, proposed giving Poland a mandate over Eastern Galicia for 25 years. And in December, Rumbold warned uh, the Secretary of State uh, for Foreign Affairs, uh, George Curzon, that the Poles didn't understand the Supreme Council's decision. And we need to mention that Louis Namier's conclusions were repeatedly questioned. Nevertheless, Lloyd George didn't carefully consider the obtained eye analysis. Similar doubts arose regarding Maurice Hankey's report. On July 25th, 1920, this organizer of Lloyd George office arrived in Warsaw as a member of uh, the inter-allied mission to Poland. A few days later, Hanke wrote a report about Poland's situation during the war against Soviet Russia. The document upheld Poland's negative image uh, and it turned out to be a fraud with consequences. Henke's opinion upheld Lloyd George's prejudice toward Poland and allowed the British Prime Minister to believe that he hadn't uh, misinterpreted uh, the facts. Uh, in Poland's assessments, Morris Henke's report uh, was in fact based on unverified information, often even rumors. And of course, it's it's impossible to hold Hanke responsible for Lloyd George policy towards Poland. Uh, nevertheless, it's surprising that such an experienced politician as British Prime Minister didn't obtain uh, comprehensive information from other sources. He didn't decide to seek a substantive opinion of experts who had knowledge and experience in that field. Therefore, Lloyd George conduct, uh, contradicted uh, the concept of uh, new diplomacy, uh, such an important um, concept after the First World War. Both Namir analyzes and Hanke's report uh, showed the significant role of information in international politics. Reliable knowledge makes it possible to understand current events and then to take action adequate to the situation. This fact was of great importance in the summer of 1920, when Poland faced a threat to its newly regained independence. It's worth emphasizing that the information from the Soviet Russia was incomplete and could hardly be considered credible. Uh, this, issue, this issue seems vital because Great Britain's attitude towards Poland was as a result of British-Soviet relations. In January 1920, Lloyd George members of power base uh, so systemic changes in Russia uh, is an increasable po uh, possible scenario. An expression of this tendency was the withdrawal of Great Britain's support from the whites and um, domestic war in Russia, establishing trade relations with Soviet Russia and therefore to end the war 
in the Eastern Europe. Uh, this assumption met primarily, met primarily uh, with the satisfaction of British public opinion. The British strategy considered relation with Soviet Russia on two levels, political and economic. Lloyd George wanted to normalize this situation and these relations. So in January 1920, he initiated trade talks, uh, which it was planned in theory uh, to, transport, uh, to transform into political negotiation. Simultaneously, uh, contrary to the facts, the British prime minister tried to prove that Russia under Bolshevik rule uh, had grain reserves that could prevent famine in Europe. And there is no doubt that he fell victim to, to Soviet disinformation uh, because at the time, millions of citizens uh, were dying as a result of starvation in Soviet Russia. A significant role in strengthening of, uh, of this myth played uh, the Labour Party's and the Trade Union's Congress policy. In May 1920, its delegate visited Bolshevik Russia and a series of publications, lectures, and press interviews uh, given by the participants of this escapade uh, had a massive impact on the new Russia's perception. Of course, as it was expected by the, by the Bolshevik. Uh, this influence uh, was all the more important as Western public opinion didn't have any other information about the local uh, political and economic situations in, uh, in Russia under, under the Bolshevik rule. Uh, in light of the presented report, uh, Russia constituted vast and, and rich country, and moreover, Russia could be um, an outlet for, for British goods, it was believed that uh, exporting goods to this country could lead to a reduction in unemployment in, uh, in Britain and improvement um, in the standard of, uh, of living. Um, it's worth noting that Lloyd George was also bound uh, by the British uh, economist Edward Frank Weiss's opinions, who chaired uh, trade negotiations with Russia in 1920-1921. Um, Soviet propaganda and disinformation, which, as it appears, uh, had such a strong influence on British economics uh, views, turned out to be uh, an essential element through which the United Kingdom's political elite perceived the Polish-Soviet war. During the conference convened uh, on August 14, 1920, Labour Party activists, uh, in the cooperation with the Trade Union Congress, emphasized the peaceful nature of Kremlin's policy. Uh, it denied that Polish faith faced the threat to its uh, independence in the clash uh, with the Red Army. The delegates also called for recognition uh, of Bolshevik authority and the establishment of regular 
uh, diplomatic and trade relations between Great Britain and Soviet Russia. During a parliamentary debate in the House of Commons on August 10th, the leader of the opposition, Labour Party, Liberal Party, Herbert Asquish, uh, even stated that Poland had, had fallen victim uh, of its uh, aggressive policy. So, as you can see, uh, pro-Soviet sympathies were present not only among uh, labor, but also among liberal politicians. Meanwhile, the policy pursued by Lord George and his entourage had a completely uh, different goal to bring, which, which was uh, to bring Bolshevik Russia to the table of the great powers. Uh, from uh, the perspective of Great Britain's policy, which declared uh, to desire the stable uh, relations in Central and Eastern Europe, the Polish Eastern uh, border shape and the condition of future peace between Poland and Soviet Russia were of uh, great importance. With time, uh, British ruling circles began to perceive Poland's uh, military involvement in the East um, as an obstacle to the normalization of economic relations with Soviet Russia. Um, and moreover, British trade unions uh, cooperating with the Labour Party blamed Poland for the outbreak of the war. Uh, Britain's refusal to support Eastern Polish policy indicated that British and Polish uh, assumptions were contradictory. Um, in conclusion, uh, I'd like to refer to the words of Winston Churchill, referring to the challenge of rebuilding Europe after Great War's catastrophe. He called it a, a great responsibility. These words appeared uh, to the both uh, Western and Eastern part of the, of the continent. But, um, and the leaders of the victorious powers uh, felt it was their moral duty to formulate a new political order uh, in the areas of hostilities. But unfortunately, British policymakers didn't take advantage uh, of this opportunity to create a long-term policy towards Central and Eastern Europe. More than once, um, current political and economic interests come to the fore. It seems that British ruling circles uh, had underestimated the effectiveness and scale of Soviet disinformation and sympathy for Bolshevism in their societies. London also lacked a vision of pan-European policy and a well-organized intelligence apparatus uh, that would inform government officials about the actual situation in the areas threatened by Bolshevism. Eventually, the British government mirages of possible economic beliefs um, resulting for Russia's cooperation overshadowed uh, the situation's occurrence assessment. Deutscher's cabinet didn't see danger posed by the slogan of the Bolshevik revolution. It's in one of the well-known statements, uh, Lenin said, 
If we announce a tender in the West for the robes on which we'll uh, hang the capitalists, I'm sure we were uh, inundated with offers. Lloyd George mentalities uh, reflected this commentary on trade negotiation with the Soviet when he said, we even traded with cannibals in the Solomon Islands. In this view, this, this means that trade was necessity and it didn't mean friendship or even closer acquaintance. However, in the case of, of the Bolsheviks, the British Prime Minister didn't realize that his contractors uh, were modern barbarians who couldn't sell or buy anything. Thank you for your attention.